we have a special treat. The Spurs Up Show joins in all kinds of weather forecasts to preview a exciting super regional matchup as the Gators go for Omaha for the first time in five years. Welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Chris Yanes, alongside my co-host, Neil Shulman. And we've got an exciting episode tonight, as I mentioned. The Spurs Up Show will be on here tonight, previewing the South Carolina side of things for the Super Regional. And then Neil and I will be previewing the Florida side of things. Uh, but before we want to get into that, want to shout out our sponsor of the show, Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and will deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and a big Gator fan. And three, they've got the personal stamp of in all kinds of weather. They did our new logo, our new website, they did the Gator Foundation website, and they do all the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. And they've got more Gator-related projects on the horizon. So if you're listening to this pod and your brand or company needs help with any of the affirmation areas, rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their full list of services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. Also want to give a shout out to our partners at Alma Mater. Be sure to go check out our content on an all on all kinds weather.com and you can click the link at the very top to see what we've got in store there uh, they've been a great partner of us and they put out a lot of great apparel so make sure to go check that out uh, and we also are partnered with the gator good foundation if you or know somebody that is worthy of the honor of being uh, a gator to attend their first game in the swamp this season you can email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com so neil Let's go ahead and get Chris in here from the Spurs Up show. It's going to be a great time, so I think he's ready to join us. So let's go ahead and get him in here. And I want to welcome to the show tonight Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show. Uh, He's going to be breaking down our opponent this week, the South Carolina Gamecocks. We're definitely looking forward to the rematch versus the Gamecocks this week in the Super Regional. A lot more at stake this weekend than there was in the regular season. So, Chris, welcome to our show. Chris and Neil, it's a pleasure, man. I appreciate you guys having me and excited for a fun weekend of baseball. Obviously, these two teams very familiar with each other, and it's it's kind of crazy when you think about over the years, the matchups between the Gamecocks and the Gators that have had so much on the line. And, of course, most notably, you know, we'll think back to 2011, the fantastic College World Series final, which maybe not so much if you're a Gator, but uh, one of the more legendary finals, if you will. But uh, these are two programs, two teams that are two of the best in college baseball. They're very familiar with one another, and – uh, this is kind of how it was supposed to be, right? Best on best to go to the College World Series and and looking forward to a fun weekend and chatting with you guys as well. You had to lead with that, didn't you? You had to lead with just throwing <laughs> that in there. I couldn't I mean, help myself, man. I couldn't. Hey, I'll, I'll give you credit. 2010, though, right? You recall Florida won the final series of that season to claim the SEC East. And I think the SEC as a whole, but definitely the SEC East. But, of course, as we all know, the Gamecocks went on to win the national championship. So it's funny how those 10, 11, and 12 teams for South Carolina, they didn't always win everything in the regular season. But, man, when it came to postseason, they just flipped the switch. I don't know what it's been. But, uh, no, yeah, it's it's good times. Good times. <laughs> well, y'all, I mean, I, I hate to say this, um, but just to sort of set the stage for, I, I guess we can call it a rivalry, right? I mean, it, the, the teams have played on the biggest stage. They played for the national championship. Carolina's. 
I hate to say it, kind of owned Florida in all the biggest matchups. He beat us for the title in 11. You beat us in pool play to start the World Series in 2012. You beat us in the last game that Mick Hubert, our famous radio guy, ever called. And, I mean, it happens in other sports, too. You beat us for a spot in the Final Four in 2017. You beat us for a, a true SEC East championship game in football in the Swamp in 2010. You guys have more national championships than us. You guys lead the overall head-to-head series. And we only have one more trip to Omaha than you guys. So uh, definitely what I would call a rivalry, but one that, unfortunately, Carolina has the upper hand in and you know, something we're trying to change this weekend. You know, I, I thought for a while South Carolina was trying to be Florida 2.0, right? Taking Steve Spurrier and then Will Muschamp. Guys, I was going to literally start a riot if they hired Jim McElwain. So I'm at least happy we didn't go down that route. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully hopefully you don't take Kevin O'Sullivan because we definitely love him as our Gator manager. And it, and it almost happened. I'm sure you guys heard the rumors about that back <laughs> in 17. If Sully didn't lead the Gators or the, the national title, there was kind of rumblings around Columbia that he wanted to take the job. So it is crazy how South Carolina and Florida, there's this, like to your point, I wouldn't call it like necessarily a true rivalry or one of the known rivalries, but the – the way they've crossed paths over the years is is sort of unprecedented. So, uh, again, it just sets up another chapter will be written this weekend. Most definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit about that that new chapter in the in the rivalry for baseball. Uh, Chris, I'll lead off with you, and then Neil will we'll get into the Gators. But kind of give the fans an idea of how South Carolina season has been. Uh, you know, have they matched expectations thus far, or were they a little bit underwhelming at this point? But now that they've gotten to the Super Regional, fans seem to be happy. Yeah, guys, I would say South Carolina definitely exceeded expectations, at least at, for min- at minimum through the first 40 games. I mean, South Carolina, you could argue through the first 40 games of the year, they start out 34-6, and six, and of course that sweep over Florida was part of it at Founders Park. I mean, I think you could argue they were the best team in college baseball. You know, of course, split with LSU, they didn't get to play that game three at Founders because of weather, and unfortunately there's a silly rule that you have three days to play three games, which I don't think makes a lot of sense. But either way, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so you really just kind of felt, though, the ups and downs of baseball. The first 40 games, 34-6, and six, you're number three in the country. You fall all the way to really struggling over the last month. You lose your final four SEC series. Uh, you fall out of the top 25. You go from number three to out of the D1 baseball top 25. You know, you win a game in Hoover, granted over Georgia. Then you go two and Q after that in South Carolina. You know, as a 39-win SEC team, which every other year you'd feel like would be good enough, their hand, their fate was truly in the hands of the committee just because of the skid down the stretch. And, you know, guys, what's crazy, you look back, South Carolina actually had a losing record in SEC series. They went 4-5-1. and one. Of course, that won the tie being the split with LSU. But they really benefited early on with all the sweeps, right? I mean, you swept Georgia, you swept Missouri. Uh, you know, so you're able to sort of build up that SEC record, if you will. And South Carolina had a quality year, right? They were a quality ball club at SEC play, finished 16 and 13 in SEC play. But it was that major lull at the end of the season that I think stood out to most. And of course, this coming into the season was a big year for Mark Kingston. But guys, all in all, when you look at it, you know, the Gamecocks as a whole, I thought, overachieved. You know, Mark Kingston after last year, the the abysmal year, right? You finished under 500 for the first time, I think, since 1996. They didn't sit on their hands, man. They went out. They got Monty Lee, former Clemson head coach, but also former Gamecocks assistant. They brought him in as the pitching coach, or excuse me, the hitting coach, because hitting last year was a problem. They then hit the transfer portal. And you look at how many portal guys have made an impact for them. They really took the Texas A&M model that Jim Schlossnagel implemented, right, of plug and play. And 
it's work for him, man. Will McGillis, Gavin Casas, uh, Caleb Denny at times. You know, the list goes on and on of guys that have been there that have made a big impact. So, And then, of course, Ethan Petrie, the true freshman. I don't think anybody saw that coming, the type of year that he's had. And then, you know, of course, you get the you get the, the regional home berth, if you will, and you go into that. I, I, I felt confident. You know, I know there were some out there because of the play down the stretch. And also, guys, South Carolina, you have to mention, they dealt with injuries, man. I mean, the injury bug certainly bit them at the last – quarter of the season or so but nobody wanted to hear that because all it was last year was injury so you know it was a bit of an up and down regular season for sure with the highs being that first 40 games and the really the wear and tear of SEC play and oh by the way I mean the starting rotation just looks completely different than it did uh, at season's beginning outside of Jack Mahoney being in that game two spot you know Will Sanders was not the Will Sanders we all expected he's now in the bullpen Noah Hall got injured for the year so it's 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 been an interesting year for South Carolina, but I will say I think that their depth has really shown, and also they are getting healthy at the right time. You know, you could see the difference in the regional. They got healthy in that eight days off they had between the SEC tournament and that, and it looked a lot more like that ball club we saw in the first 40 games of the season. So, guys, that's really the big question, and I think that's the question going into this weekend is which version of this South Carolina ball club do we get? Is the one that we saw against Florida that it felt like they literally couldn't miss? I mean, at that point – South Carolina was seeing a beach ball swinging the ball. They were dominant on the map. They literally could do no wrong at that point. They've hit some snags and some adversity since then. And again, this is as healthy as they've been since really that Florida series. And guys, a huge thing to note too, I think for Florida, a key not to get ahead of myself, you know, taming Ethan Petri, which is much easier said than done because guys get this, South Carolina lost the last four SEC series they had. His last home run in an SEC series was that Florida series. He went 0 for the rest of the year, and they lost every SEC series. So it, that just goes to show you how big of a piece he is of this offensive production. And, you know, he loves swinging it at Founders Park, and you guys saw that at Founders, but obviously now it's a different beast going on the road to Gainesville. So I would say there's a lot of similarities between the team that Florida saw the first time around and now, but there's also some differences as well just because of what this team went through and the injuries and stuff like that. But they are as close as they're as close to that version of that team that they've been in a very, very long time. I'll say that. Yeah, you know, we look forward to, to that matchup. And and I think what you kind of just highlighted are the ups and downs of a typical baseball season. I mean, baseball can be a very fickle sport. You see that in the majors. You see that at the college level, especially. Florida has had a little bit of ups and downs, maybe not as much as South Carolina where they had that skid late in the year. But, you know, certainly they had this – they got swept by South Carolina. They got swept by Texas A&M. You know, they, they had their fair share of, of some bad nights where they gave up double digits on the board to another team. Uh, and, the, and the bullpen was inconsistent. So, Neil – Let's give uh, South Carolina fans an idea of kind of where the the Gators have, you know, how they've done this season, how they've met expectations. Uh, we said going into the regional, it was Omaha or bust for Florida this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason to really argue that point. I don't really see a counter to that because, I mean, really, the Florida team that South Carolina saw was very, very markedly different than the team the rest of the country saw because that was one of only two series Florida lost all year. Florida got off to a great start. They mercy ruled Charleston Southern in their first two games. They were hot early and they stayed hot the whole year, minus the one series in Columbia and the series in College Station against Texas A&M. So the Florida bullpen was honestly just awful. I mean, the, the mantra of the show for Carolina fans is keep it respectful, but keep it real. It's never personal, but you know, when something is as, as bad as blowing a nine, three lead to Jacksonville in the eighth inning, there's no other thing that you can call it, but abominable. 
So that's that's what the Florida bullpen was early in the year. Now, it got a lot better since then. The season progressed. Youngsters grew up. They got more reps. They got more game action. They got trial by fire. And now some of those guys that were very shaky at the start of the year are actually our most dependable guys. And Cade Fisher was – he just didn't have it early in the year. He went out and he threw seven innings of shutout baseball against – a very, very good Texas Tech offense. So that just goes to show the growth that can happen over a college baseball season. And it goes to show that just just playing can make you better. In some cases, you might, I don't want to say get complacent, but just things happen. I think Chris, um, well, Chris, we'll, we'll, we'll call you Chris Phillips. I'll just call you first and last name to differentiate. But as, as Chris Phillips said, um, you know, the wear and tear of college baseball season can kind of get to you. South Carolina had injuries, so you saw that kind of hurt them you know, in terms of winning and losing games. But the Florida baseball team really didn't have a ton of injuries throughout the year. They pretty much stayed healthy. Uh, Wyatt Langford, I think, missed a week, if maybe a week and a half, I think it was. Um, other than that, they were healthy the whole year. Um, there was some adversity. Brandon Neely got ejected. You did not see him. Carolina fans, you did not see him in that series because, I mean, I'm going I'm to one-up you with the NCAA's uh, ineptitude. You're talking about having to play three games in three days being stupid. Well, how about just pumping your fists and yelling, come on, let's go, and not taunting, not flipping anyone off, no profanities, not even gator chomping at the George dugout. That was all he did, and he got suspended for four games. So we didn't have him in that South Carolina series, and he has been lights out all year, but particularly since he got back. So the Florida team that South Carolina fans saw, I know that the memories of that series are great, but and I'm, I'm not going to give away my prediction, but I will say if South Carolina is going to beat Florida again in the series – you're going to have to beat the Gators at their very, very best and get ready for a much different challenge than what you saw in Founders Park that weekend. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, that that's the best part about this matchup is that we're going to get South Carolina's best. South Carolina is going to get Florida's best. These teams seem to be riding really high right now. South Carolina coming off a 3-0 sweep in their regional. Florida overcoming some adversity, winning three games uh, in pretty emphatic fashion, a 21-3 run after that loss to Texas Tech. Uh, and that was by by virtue of really good lineups from both squads. So, Chris, you talked a lot about Ethan Petri already, but give us an idea of maybe three other guys in South Carolina's lineup that could definitely make some noise this weekend. Well, I think first you got to start off with catcher Cole Messina. And, you know, first off, before I get to the offensive side, he has done such a great job of managing this pitching staff. And I know Florida fans can attest to it as well, the value of having a great catcher and just being able to handle all these different personalities and all these talents. Because, again, I know Florida fans can attest because Florida, it seems like every year, you know, Sully takes care of arms. And for that reason, he gets some big-time arms to come through Gainesville. And so you guys have seen it firsthand. But, you know, what he does behind the plate, you know, we've seen – Cole Messina battled some injuries. Obviously, you have a starting catcher. They're typically going to have those bumps and bruises. But the times he was out, uh, the substitutes, it, there was a major drop-off behind the dish. So very happy that he is going to be behind the dish this weekend. But offensively, you know, guys, I would say he is not only the, the leader on this ball club just by virtue of being a catcher, but he is the heartbeat, the heart and soul of this team. He's the emotional leader. He's the leader in the clubhouse. So I think Cole Messina is a guy most certainly they nickname him Moose. Um, I think he's a guy that needs to have a big weekend for South Carolina to be successful. Also, Braylon Wimmer, he's a spark plug at the top. I if I think if I recall correctly, he had a pretty good weekend against Florida that first go around. Again, a speedster at the top. 
uh, has power as well, but again, just serves a guy that uh, when he gets going, it feels like this entire lineup gets going. And then I have to mention Will McGillis, man, his return from injury. Florida didn't see him the first time around. He got hurt in the Missouri series and was basically out the entire year. But guys, my goodness, his return to the lineup for the regional, I mean, it just, I, it was just night and day. And South Carolina finally went back. It felt like to having a true leadoff man, right? They've been changing out and changing in so many different guys with Michael Braswell and Dylan Brewer and just trying to find a guy to fit in that spot. Will McGillis, man, it was seamless and he was fantastic. And I think having him back, you know, a quality hitter that came from Southern Miss, they acquired him via the transfer portal. He was a guy that had played really, really good baseball for the Golden Eagles. And that's a great program, right? They're in the Super Regionals yet again, hosting the Tennessee Volunteers, which I know Neil shed a tear when Tennessee didn't get the host for the Super Regional, by the way. I know he was really heart heartbroken over that. But uh, no, nah, I mean, I'd say Will McGillis at the top. He's sort of the tone setter, and he's just such a capable hitter. Again, he has power. He has speed. Handles the bat really, really well. He's just a veteran presence up there at the top. And again, that's a guy that Florida did not see in that matchup previously. So, you know, I would say those three guys are the, really the ones that are the, they're the ones that jump out to me. Also, I'll mention one more. Gavin Casas, the big-body left-handed bat. Of course, his brother Tristan Casas plays for the Red Sox. There's some good lineage there. But uh, Gavin Casas, yet another one. They picked up through the transfer portal. He played his uh, ball previously at Vanderbilt but definitely having the best season of his collegiate career. And he's certainly come on of late. He's He was one of those guys, started out really, really hot, went into a slump. He's been much better of late, and he's certainly somebody that they will lean on. So those guys are the ones I would mention or that I would be most looking forward to this weekend, especially if you're Gator fans. Those are the ones you're going to want to keep an eye on. Awesome. Well, Neil, let's, let's uh, let South Carolina fans know who we have to look out for uh, or they have to look out for in our lineup. So I think the answer to the question is going to be different than who I think the three best hitters on the Gators are. Because if you want to talk best hitters, it's Josh Rivera, Wyatt Langford, and Jack Caglione. And you can make an argument for Cade Curland. But the guys you want to watch for are the guys that may not have been noticed, but they got hot in the final game of that regional. They may have gotten a little confidence boost, and that could make all the difference this upcoming weekend. BT Ryapel. Had a great week in Hoover in the SEC tournament. Didn't really do a ton with the bat. Had some good at-bats. He put a couple of barrels on a couple of pitches. One was yanked foul. One died at the warning track. But overall, just did not have a great regional until that final game when he blasted two home runs. And you could just see something was different as he was rounding third base. I mean, for my seats, especially right behind home plate, by the way, thank you to my ticket guy for that. Really appreciated that, that hookup. But from that vantage point, you could see him rounding third base. And there was just something different about him. You could just see that he had found something. He had found an, an extra reserve tank of confidence. He had found uh, maybe some relief. Maybe that was going to be what frees him up to swing the bat a little bit more effectively and not be you know too tense at the plate. I don't know exactly what it is, but there was something that you could just feel, an energy that you could just feel in that stadium after that second homer. So watch out for him. Um, Curlin has been slumping a bit recently, but like, – Another guy that came through with a nice hit um, later in that that final Texas Tech game. He had been hitting 400 earlier in the year. Obviously, that was against the likes of Charleston Southern and Siena. So I don't really know what you want to make of that. But even going into the series or the, the the season finale against Kentucky, his average was 326, and well, now it's barely 300. I think it's three 301 and a half if you want to be completely um, accurate. So big slump from our leadoff guy. And Sully has stuck with him. 
there he remains at number one in that lineup for the Gators because Sully has faith in him, and he came through late in the game. That run didn't mean anything, and he didn't even score. That hit didn't mean anything. The run that he would have scored had he scored would not have meant anything, but that was a nice a nice thing to see for Gator fans that, hey, the leadoff guy that Sully has been trusting all year long came through for us, and that's a bat that South Carolina does not want to see get hot in the Super Regional. Um, and Colby Halter has really struggled at the plate all year for Florida, but against one of Texas Tech's better pitchers, Brandon Beckel, he got two hits in the final game after not really doing much of anything again for the rest of the regional. So if those three bats get hot, I think South Carolina is in some pretty big trouble because I think every Gamecock fan out there knows the the three big ones that we talked about or that I talked about at, this, at the top of this uh, little monologue in Rivera, Langford, and Caglione. Caglione hit a homer in the second game against Carolina um, that gave the Gators a very short-lived one nothing lead. But I think everyone who even has a passing interest in college baseball knows that he is the quote-unquote Shohei Otani of college baseball. I use quotations because the pitching has been very up and down, but he leads the NCAA with 31 home runs. Average is pretty good too. It's not like he's one of those guys hitting 210 with a bunch of homers. He's hitting well above 300. Um, and Josh Rivera taking a big step as a as a power hitter this year. He's added that that distance ball to his to his game. He was a very good spray hitter, but now he can hit the ball out of the park. And Wyatt Langford, again, after an incredible year in 2022, doesn't quite have the home run numbers he had a year ago, but the average is still ridiculous. He's hitting well above 350 for the year, was hitting 400 just a couple of games ago before going over, I think, in the last game or two. But those three bats are always a threat to hurt anyone. If the other three guys I talked about also find their bats, it's a very different series than if it's just those three guys who are who are raking. I, I just wanted to really quickly, by the way, speak to Josh Rivera because I remember being at the series in Columbia in 2021, and I don't think he was even hitting his body weight at that point. So I tell you, to watch the progression of him as a hitter has been – it's been wild, man. I mean, if you'd have told me he was going to hit 357, I, I would have probably raised an eyebrow, but he's turned into a fantastic shortstop, that's for sure. Yeah, most definitely. There's no way that Florida probably has a success this season without the progression of a player like Josh Rivera and some of those young, younger players like Neil had mentioned. So most definitely, you know, it, it's impressive to see. But we've talked about the bats. We've talked about the power and the ability to, to put a lot of runs up on the board from both teams now. Let's talk about the opposition, How who's going to potentially stop that. So, you know, from the Florida perspective, Chris, we said that the key to Florida advancing far into Omaha was the consistency of pitching. We know that we can put up big time runs every night, but can we hold teams uh, to you know maybe under five runs? Can the, we get starting pitchers to be consistent and give us some quality starts? And can the bullpen come through? I think Florida, from the, our side, we've finally seen that come to fruition with the bullpen, where they didn't necessarily have that consistency in the regular season. So, give us an idea, kind of, and, and you mentioned it at the top, the starting rotation for South Carolina is much different now than it was even when we faced South Carolina earlier this season. So first give us an idea kind of what the starting pitchers will be this who the starting pitchers will be this weekend, what that looks like for South Carolina, and then on the flip side, the bullpen and and who we might see there. Yeah, guys, it's funny. I feel like South Carolina and Florida, these two ball clubs actually have a lot of similarities because it's like the offense is there. Can you get enough out of the pitching? If you get dominant pitching, you feel like on a night-in, night-out basis, you're going to get enough from your offense to really make some noise. 
And when you look at the starting rotation, guys, you know, it's funny, nothing official has been released yet. And I think the big question is, what is South Carolina going to do with Will Sanders? I do not expect him to be in a starting role just because from the physical standpoint, you know, he pitched in the regional, looked really good, looked like that vintage dominant Will Sanders. And what's so interesting is that, guys, you know, when he had that great game against Florida, and I mean, he was great, right? I've got his career stats against the Gators right here. 18 innings pitched, 2 ERA, 29 strikeouts, and 9 walks. I mean, he was porous for most of this season. You ask any Gamecock, but I don't know what it is about Florida. He just turns on a switch. He mentioned after the game, I don't like Florida. I don't know if something happened when he was in high school and he felt disrespected. You know, these guys, they, they find whatever it takes, right, for motivation or what have you. So, I don't think he'll be in the starting rotation. I think you'll see South Carolina stick with what worked last weekend with the righty James Hicks going in game one and Jack Mahoney going in game two. And I think game three is just going to be kind of a, a TBD. You know, Mark Kingston did mention he could potentially start, but it would surprise me again because Will Sanders is one of those guys who was out for a couple of weeks with a lower body injury. A, I think it was an ankle injury we now know. So it's like, is he physically ready to go out and start a game and throw 70 pitches, 80 pitches, what have you? So uh, I think you're going to expect to see Hicks and Mahoney in games one and two. I think game three, you cross that bridge when you get to it. You know, admittedly, guys, I don't think the Gamecocks have, they've still got good pitching depth. They had elite pitching depth coming into the season. You lose Noah Hall for the year. You lose Eli Jerzen back to the year because of Tommy John. I don't think that was a thing back when South Carolina played Florida. And then Will Sanders, who already wasn't very good for you, but then he goes down with an injury and you don't know what his role is. So I think that's how the starting rotation will shake out in regards to the bullpen. The guys you will see immediately, I didn't even mention Eli Jones, who came on really strong for South Carolina in the second half. I mean, he pitched fantastic on the road in start. Well, I know Mississippi State wasn't very good, but anytime you go out and you shove at the dude, that's a big deal. Pitched fantastic in Fayetteville against Arkansas. I mean, that was a hostile environment. Um, so I think he's a dude for sure. He's going to be one of your first out of the bullpen. And Mark Kingston, here's the thing, guys. Expect the unexpected when it comes to Gamecocks pitching because Mark Kingston's such an analytical dude. He loves the matchups. He's going to go where the numbers tell him to go. So, you know, this is our best guess for sure, but I even said it last week at this time when people thought that Eli Jones would be the game one starter, and I said, do not be surprised. Like, literally expect the unexpected when it comes to pitching matchups, and lo and behold, James Hicks starts game one unexpectedly. So, hey, it could be James Hicks. It could be Eli Jones. It could be Jack Mahoney. I really genuinely have no idea, of course. We'll find out later in the week, but uh, in some capacity, Eli Jones I think he could be one of your first out of the bullpen. Chris Veach is the closer. He's been great for the Gamecocks. Has that filthy changeup, I think, is one of the best pitches in all of college baseball. Cade Austin has been a reliable bullpen guy for you. Been inconsistent at times. The Gamecocks have somewhat battled what Florida battled with, you know, bullpen inconsistency. I feel like that's kind of a common thing in college baseball, honestly, finding those guys. But Cade Austin, for the most part, has been really good. Um, and then you've had some other role guys there as well. But those guys I mentioned, those are the main pieces. Matthew Becker as well, who started a lot of game threes for you, but started against Campbell, was shaky. I think most Gamecock fans would prefer to probably see him come out of the bullpen. Lefty with good stuff, but has just been getting a hit around of late. So, you know, again, you don't have that elite depth I think you had before the season started because they truly had elite depth. And because of injuries, that's taken a hit. But you've still got, I think, enough quality pitching depth high-quality pitching depth to get through and win a weekend like this. But the guys you have, obviously, they got to be at their best. And it does start with that starting rotation. And, guys, that's really my key for the Yardcocks this weekend is can they get the pitching good enough to go with that offense and give themselves a chance to win.
Yeah, and I mean, not to not to spoil my kind of key and prediction, but I think pitching is really going to rule the day in this series. I think we're going to see both teams bring their A game when it comes to both the starters I mean, and the bullpen. Not to cut you off, Chris, but when it comes to the postseason, man, we talk all year about hitting and launch angle and great pitching beats great hitting, man. It's the teams that have the arms at the end of the day and the guys that go on the bump and give you special performances that you know typically go all the way and win it all. So, 100%. And I mean, think back to that matchup, at least in game one of that, epic final against Florida and South Carolina. It was a, it was a defensive pitchers duel back then. And you think back fast forward to 2017, that was not Sully's best squad that won the national championship. I would argue it was probably the 2016 squad that got beat the year before in Omaha. But the reason why they ended up winning in 2017 was ultimately because of guys like Alex Fajardo, Brady Singer, uh, Michael Neely, uh, or Michael Byrne rather that were, you know, just, on fire at the end. So definitely, I think whoever has the better pitching in this series and ultimately in Omaha is going to get far in advance. So Neil, let's talk about the Gator pitching. We, we, you know, we've led with it a lot with how our starters have, you know, I think been pretty solid all year, not great, not elite, but really good. And and we've had some good performances uh, leading up to that regional final win. And then the bullpen, while we say inconsistent has started to find its stride. So let's give the fans uh, some, a preview of what they can expect from our staff. Yeah, so Florida's pitching is exactly what you said just now. It's it's good. Maybe you could call it great. It's not elite. There's there's a very clear, hard no when you ask, is this one of the elite pitching staffs in college baseball? Because it's not. Because Brandon Sprout has a tendency to have slow starts sometimes. We've seen that against teams that are, frankly, not very good, like against Georgia. He had a very, very slow start. Um, just – just not hitting his spots. Guys can barrel them up. He can walk a couple guys here and there, and it might get away from him. South Carolina fans remember that he was he was fine, but he had some issues here and there with location, and it kind of resulted in him getting yanked, I think, before Sully would have liked to have yanked him. And then, you know, it all went downhill very quickly after that. But uh, Hurston Waldrop, um, a guy that I think is going to be very, very hot commodity in the MLB draft, as well as Sprout. I mean, Sprout and Waldrop both have 12 to 15 different scouts from MLB teams per game just going there with radar guns to watch them pitch. Um, and a couple of times I've noticed the same guys going back to watch them. I noticed um, at, at the Miami series I was at and at the Georgia series and at the regional this past week, I remembered at least three of their faces. I couldn't quite remember if I'd seen a fourth guy, but Point is, guys go back to see them because they have the stuff, they have the velocity on their pitches, they have the location. At times, MLB thing, MLB teams think that they can fine tune them, they can work on their location, but the stuff, as they as they say, is just filthy for both of them. They've got a wipeout slider, they've got nice changeups, they've got that high velo in the mid to high nineties. They're guys that can go out and can reliably give you five, six, seven, even if their pitch counts are low enough eight innings of quality work. Caglione is going to be the wild card. If the game, if the series goes to a game three, Gator fans are going to hold their breath because he can be tremendous. He can be an absolutely elite pitcher that can shut a team down and it can go the other way very quickly. We saw against Tennessee earlier in the year, he couldn't even get out of the first inning because he walked three guys and gave a couple of fat pitches that got knocked into the gaps. We saw against uh, who was it? I'm forgiving. Oh, uh, Texas A&M. He didn't last very long. Or sorry, Vanderbilt. In the SEC tournament, he didn't get out of the second inning 
because he wasn't hitting his spots. Fat pitches were knocked into the gaps, walked a couple guys, and very, very, very short outing for him. So if that happens, you know, all bets are off. But he has been good more than he's been bad. It's not like it's a 50-50 proposition. It's probably more like a 70-30, maybe 75-25, that, that you're going to get good Caglione on the mound versus bad. But when it's bad, it's really bad, and it unravels in a hurry. So if if the, if the series goes game three, not to give away my key, but that's going to be crucial to see exactly what Florida gets out of him. Now, I will say it's not like – it's all lost if we do get a bad start from Sproder, Waldrip, or Caglione because the bullpen is definitely better, as I was saying earlier, than it was earlier in the year. Kate Fisher has stepped up. He was tremendous against Texas Tech. Ryan Slater was tremendous against Texas Tech. After giving up the game-losing home run to Gavin Cash earlier, did not let it rattle him, bounced right back and shut them down, got the win. He's a guy that I think Gator fans can feel fairly confident about when he steps on in the mound. Um, haven't seen a ton of Tyler Nesbitt recently, but he does have good numbers, albeit a lot of that's against kind of junk opponents, but still good numbers. He has some, some good stuff. I would trust him to go a few innings if he absolutely had to. Um, and, I, and, and then I think there is depth behind him in terms of talent. I mean, not even going to talk about Brandon Neely quite yet. We talked about him a little bit earlier, but even before it gets to Neely, there are some guys like Blake Purnell, Think could go a couple innings. He's fresh. He didn't really do a ton this regional, but he can go out there and get a few innings done. Um, I mean, there, there are just so many names of guys that I think can go out and and just go and give you three or four innings that maybe you didn't expect. Like a Karsten Finball, for example, the guy that Florida fans all know is the hero from last year's regional against Oklahoma. No one saw that coming. He goes out and he throws a complete game, Gators win, and force another game against the Sooners. No one in their right minds would have ever predicted he'd even see the field, let alone go a full game. But that's just, just what happens when you're Kevin O'Sullivan and you recruit arms the way he has done it. So there might be someone that comes up to be the hero that Florida fans don't even really know. I mean, it could be a Yoel Tejada, for example. That's the guy that that goes maybe one or two innings in the midweek games against like Florida A&M or Florida Atlantic or, or Mercer, you know, those kinds of teams that maybe not all the fans watch, but Florida's pitching is extremely talented. If the pitching is what loses the game for Florida, it will be because they either got nervous or because they were just having a bad day. But the talent in this Florida pitching staff is unquestionably among the best in the country. You know, and I'm curious, Neil, we talked a lot about uh, pitching strategy last week. Who do you start in certain situations in games? Let's say, for instance, Brandon Sprokro's out, Gators win game one. Does he save Waldrop in case there's a game three and throw Caglione? Or does he just go for it? Because he went for it in 2017 with a similar situation where we were in the final versus LSU. Do you think that he goes for it in game two or does he maybe play Caglione? You know, I don't really know why you would go away from Hurston Waldrop in game two if you're up one nothing and you have that chance to deliver the knockout punch. Go for the kill, end it, put them away, and get your return to Omaha. I will say that Kevin O'Sullivan has earned the trust of myself and I think Gator fans as an entire fan base that if he were to go against the grain and do something like make that switch, like put Caglione at game two, and save Walter for game three. I think Gator fans would by and large just say, okay, Sully, you know, we trust you. You've got seven trips to the college world series on your resume, whatever you think is best, go ahead and do. But it, it would surprise me if he did that because Sully, when he has the opportunity to land the knockout punch, 
he, he typically does do it. I mean, we saw in the last game against Texas Tech, he had two innings to go to get to the Super Regional. Brandon Neely comes in. Neely was on short rest. He pitched, uh, thrown a lot of pitches in the Regional. And Sully just said, you know what? You're our best guy. You're our closer. Go close it out. And he did exactly that. So when Sully has the opportunity to land the knockout punch, and we talk about what we saw with Jackson Coar against LSU in 2017, he'll do it. So, it, yeah, it, it would surprise me if he did something other than use Waldrop in game two. Definitely, Neil. It's going to be really interesting to see what he decides to do there, but I thought it was a good question to ask because, you know, certainly a lot of this is strategy at the end of the year, and you kind of just throw conventional wisdom out the door. Chris, I wanted to say this real quick, not to cut you off, but, uh, you know, to you, to that point that Neil just made, I feel like if you're Sully and if you're Mark Kingston, it's almost like what's the point of putting out a starting rotation for the weekend? Like, as I, I feel like in a weekend like this, when there's so many, I know on the South Carolina side, it sounds like Florida as well, there are just so many moving pieces. Like, it's almost like you should just be TBA, 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 because I really just feel like matchups play such a pivotal role in this one. And again, you have so many pieces who can do so many different things. I wonder how much gamesmanship that will, there will be uh, when the starting rotations are announced. It's going to be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the best part about you know weekends like this when you get down to the very end. You know, a trip to Omaha on the line. It's the chess match. I think you've got two great managers, two great squads with a lot of great tradition and history, and it's all riding on the line. And, and why show your hand? I, I don't. I, I don't see why you would want to do that. So you never know. Maybe Florida even throws Waldrop in the first game. Neil and I have talked about how I think he's been the better pitcher actually in the rotation. Everybody thought it was Sprout, but I think Walder might be the better pitcher actually on Florida staff. Maybe you throw him game one. I don't know. So I, I, I like that. I, I think uh, I'm looking forward to seeing who hits the mound for both teams. Uh, come game one on Friday night. The other and thing to remember, Chris, is that Florida now is in a spot where because of the way the regional was set up, we had to play five games in a weekend. Florida has five guys you could reliably turn to, or I wish to say reasonably turn to. Cade Fisher is now a legitimate option. He had never pitched more than four innings at a time all year long, but then he goes out and gives you seven tremendous innings against Texas Tech. He'll be fully rested by the time he goes out for a potential game three next weekend. So if Sprout pitches great and Florida wins game one, Waldrip does well, game two is close. Do you go to Caglione or do you go to Cade Fisher? Because I could see them starting Fisher. I could see them starting Ryan Slater the next day because they have done that and done well in those roles. So TBD, 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 I think is something that, that South Carolina and Florida could very well do. Florida having five options, I think, five legitimate options to go to in those three spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was looking back, guys, at the game that Brandon Sprout pitched. You know, it's interesting. He he actually wasn't as porous as I recalled, right? I mean, it was, it was a four to three game, I believe, when he came out. He pitched five and two-thirds four earned runs, which I think, guys, I mean, against the South kind of offense of their home ballpark, that's not a bad start. Like, in college baseball, that's not a terrible start. But it was the bullpen the Gamecocks took advantage of with Philip Abner, who could not get a single out before he gave up three earned runs. And, of course, Tyler Nesbitt at the end that gave up the five runs there late, which only one of those was earned. It's crazy. But, um, anyways, just looking back at that, you know, I was thinking maybe they'd be, they'd be wise to switch up Sproats or what have you. But he actually wasn't as bad as I – as I recall, but obviously I know he and that entire Gators pitching staff, they want their their vengeance for how things went at Founders. Most definitely. Well, let's get to that. Let's talk about it. Prediction time. Uh, let's let's talk about who you are most fearful of from the South Carolina side, Chris, and then Neil, 
from the Florida's perspective, who from South Carolina you fear the most, and then kind of get into your keys to the series, your percent chance you think uh, each you know each team has of advancing, and then ultimately your prediction of who advances and in how many games. We'll start with you, Chris. Yeah, I'd say the Gator that gives me the most concern is uh, probably Jack Caglione, honestly. I was going to say Wyatt Langford also at the top, but that one-two duo, at least I know they were when they played him back in Columbia. Um, I mean, I thought South Carolina did a really good job of attacking Caglione that first go-around, especially Will Sanders, who, you know, Caglione in that game one, I talked him up all week long how good he was. He goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, so he didn't exactly make me look like a genius until the second game when he hit a mammo bomb, but... Uh, you know, Caglione's always dangerous. I, th- I think Wyatt Langford at the top as well. He's been so good for Florida over the years. And, you know, I, I just I- – I got a lot of respect for Florida top to bottom, man. I mean, I, I think that uh, Sully's done a great job in the program that he's built and that Florida at home, they'll be ready to go, guys. My big thing going in the weekend is this from the South kind of perspective. It's really hard to beat a team five times. Like, it's, it's not one of those things I heard somebody say, you kind of wish the sweep didn't happen. I'm not going to go that far, but it's just realistically, like, over the course of a season, right, you, you just – Man, if South Carolina is to go 5-1 and one against the Florida Gators, I mean, they really just were the superior team in 2023. At least that's what that would tell me. Um, guys, I think the key for the Gamecocks, you know, I, I don't give keys on a week-in, week-out basis because I feel like the keys in baseball, they stay pretty consistent, right? Like, swing, the, you know, timely hitting, great defense, pitch well, don't make mental mistakes. The key for South Carolina, I'll say this, is to win game one. To me, that's the key. I, I just think that... South Carolina still got quality pitching depth. They don't have elite pitching depth. And I also think the series being in Gainesville, I mean, that matters, man. Like playing at home versus on the road. This is a Gamecocks team that, you know, one of the reasons I was so confident in them going in the Columbia Regional is because it was in Columbia and it was at Founders. And not only were they getting healthy, but it's at the friendly confines, a place that going into last weekend, I think you had gone 26 and seven going into that weekend. I mean, it's just much tougher to play on the road in a hostile environment. I think, guys, if South Carolina is going to give themselves a shot in this one, I think they need, or if they're going to win it, I'll say, I think they need to win it in two. I think if it goes to a game three, it massively favors Florida, you know, obviously being on the home field. I like what the Gators have in the pitching department just a little bit more than South Carolina. You know, huge weekend for Ethan Petrie. Like we mentioned, you know, the numbers don't lie. The last time South Carolina had a successful three-game set against the SEC team, he went off. And guess what? When he didn't down the stretch, they didn't win many games. So Ethan Petrie's a key guy there. I'm sure Florida and Sully, they're going to have a plan for him. I'm sure the, the plan is do not let this guy beat us. Uh, but the good news is he's protected again with guys like Braylon Wimmer, Will McGillis, Cole Messina, Gavin Casas. So it is a bit of pick your poison as it is as, as it is with the Gators lineup as well. Um, in regards to prediction, guys, I, I say Florida takes the series. I think it's a three-game series. I do think the Gamecocks actually will win game one. Uh, which is a bold statement to make, saying as I don't know what the rotation is yet. But I think South Carolina, either way, will force this to a game three. I think it's one of those classic South kind of Florida series. But I just think right now Florida's got a little bit more. And guys, unfortunately, I mean, the the, the going on the road factor is a factor. It, it just is. The fact that Florida's hosting this super, the fact that you already swept them. And again, like I mentioned, it's just really hard to, after you've swept somebody, beat them two of three again. So I, I think Florida... I will side with the Gators. I'm like 51-49, though. I think it's a coin flip. I think it's going to be a great series. You know, if that South Carolina offensive attack that, you know, showed up at Founders Park in the first series, if that shows up, then you got a great shot. But as Neil mentioned, you didn't have Brandon Neely in that either. And and that was a huge factor because the bullpen for Florida 
was not very good that weekend. So, you know, South Carolina is going to have to get creative on the mound. They don't have quite that set rotation that Florida does, and I think they'll hang tough. But I think at the end of the day, I think Florida will have just a little bit more to outlast South Carolina. And, guys, honestly, I, admittedly, you guys will love to hear this. I had Florida as an Omaha team when the bracket came out. So um, that, that'll that tell you right there what I think of the Florida Gators, and I think Sully and that crew will, will find themselves in Omaha at the weekend's end. Very interesting. Uh, well, you took my talking point because I was going to talk about all the ways in which Ethan Petrie terrifies me as an objective you know, Gator fan. But you took him, I, I guess, if there's number two, because there's a big drop off between the, the guy that scares me the most and the guy that scares me the second most. I guess I'd say Cole Messina. He's hitting, I think, 313 on the year. Definitely a very good hitter, certainly an above average SEC baseball player from a, a hitting perspective. But, I mean, Petri has to be the guy. He has to be the guy that, you know, you said he came out of nowhere. No one expected him to be the guy that would just terrorize the entire SEC this year. He was, and Florida's going to have to deal with him again. So, as you said, don't let him beat you. Make somebody else be the one to deliver the clutch hit. I don't even care if you walk him. You know, fine. Make someone else be the guy that puts the barrel on the baseball, finds a gap, finds a hole between short and third, and delivers the clutch hit. So if Florida is just a little bit more careful with him than they are with the rest of the Carolina lineup, I think that Florida – I think that you know, Chris Bird was talking about percent chance to win the series. I think that percent chance goes up. If you were to tell me nothing about the series but that – Florida would be extra careful with Ethan, with Ethan Petrie and not let him be the guy. I think, I think that the percent chance for Florida goes up by about ten or fifteen percent. Now, that's easier said than done. You can't just intentionally walk a guy every time he steps up to the plate because Carolina does have other hitters that can do damage. Particularly if you've got guys on base, you can't just put them on. So they're going to have to pitch to him. So you got to be extra careful, hit your spots, but just don't give up the big shot to him. So that's that's probably um, that, that, yeah I'll, I'll say that that's the key. The other key uh, for me would be Jack Hagleone has to has to go off. He has to be the guy that we know him to be all year. He has to deliver not even necessarily home runs, but he has to have the extra base hits. He has to find those gaps, put the ball between the left and center fielder or the center and right fielder, find the corner down the right field line. He is a good spray hitter. He has a lot of homers to the opposite field. So I'm not really worried about him getting jammed too much because he is more than happy to go the other way but he has to be a big factor for the florida offense he cannot have his bat go silent i think if he shows up at the plate and the florida pitchers are extra careful with ethan petrie florida's chances to win the series are significantly better than if those two things do not happen so prediction wise you know chris i'm with you that I think South Carolina wins game one. I think that there's just something about so, – something goes wrong with the Florida offense because there, there's something about a, a slow start that this Florida team has had a lot this season. That The bats just go cold in the opener or the first game or two of a weekend. They take a while to warm up. And Carolina, I feel like, is going to have a big inning where they just jump all over, whether it's Sprout or a reliever. I don't know, but I feel like they're going to have that big inning at some point in game one. I'm not saying that they'll run away with it like they did the first game of the regular season series where they they mercy ruled us. But I I feel like they're going to go off for maybe four or five runs and put Florida in a hole that they don't come back from. So I think Carolina will take the opener 
against the Florida Gators. I think the pitching depth and an increase in productivity from the Florida bats are going to turn the series in game two. I feel like after a, a, maybe a bad start to the weekend, I think Wyatt Langford's bat will wake up. I think Josh Rivera's bat will wake up. They're going to remember, hey, you know, we're, we're playing in our home park. This could be the last time we ever see this park. Let's not have that happen. Let's let's go out. Let's do our jobs. Let's be a little bit more patient. Working pitch counts, something that Florida has been honestly simultaneously good and bad at this season. You see a lot of guys swinging sometimes on 3-0 pitches that I, I personally can't stand, but you know, a guy like Jack Caglione has the green light to do that. But for the most part, the Gators have done a good job working pitch counts, fouling off a lot of pitches, making guys have to throw that perfect pitch, spoiling four or five of them and making them go deep into that tank of energy before, oh my God, they've thrown 12 pitches this at bat. Wow, he's not going to go seven innings like I thought. Maybe now his his ceiling is five innings. So the Gators are really, really good at that. And I think that's not something that's talked about quite enough with the Gator baseball team. But I think the Gators will break through in game two, force a game three, and the pitching depth will come through for them. And it'll be close. It'll be a nail biter. But I think the Gators will get the job done in a maybe not extra innings, but in a in a walk-off or, or late inning fashion to take the series and go to Omaha. Neil, Chris, really quickly, let me interject. I'm curious. Give Gamecock fans an idea. What can they expect for those traveling to Gainesville in regards to the environment? Because I know Florida doesn't quite get the credit for being like the dude or like Baum or like some of the, you know, Alex Box, some of the more notable rowdy baseball atmospheres. You know, for whatever reason, Florida fans get wrote off as their football and baseball is just kind of there. And I think that you've obviously seen, though, the investment to baseball with the new ballpark. So, you know, it looks like the regional atmosphere was really good. It was electric. What do you expect out of uh, Gator Nation this weekend? And what can Gamecock fans expect going in there? Would you say it's going to be one of the rowdiest, rowdiest environments they've seen this season? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, at 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning, tickets went on sale for the all-session passes for – for Gator fans, season ticket holders got their first dibs. Everyone else after that had the chance to buy the tickets that the season ticket holders did not claim. I logged on at 10 o'clock and 44 seconds. There were 614 people ahead of me in line. That should tell you what Gator fans think, not only of this team, but of what's at stake this weekend. They know this is a big series. And there have been games this year where the crowd hasn't been great. I think some of that has to do with maybe some some Sunday noon start times, um, some rain delays. You know, it's Florida. It's gonna there's gonna be rain. People aren't gonna want to sit there for it. That's kind of diminished some of the some of the the numbers and maybe some of the atmospheres you've seen or heard on TV. But Florida Gator fans know that this program has been starved for a moment like this for five years, having not been to Omaha since 2018. They'll show up. They'll be rowdy. I don't know what what the dude is like. I don't know what Baum is like. I don't know what Swayze is like in in Oxford. But this crowd gets pretty into it. So you can expect a crowd that's going to be probably as hostile and or maybe not maybe I shouldn't say hostile, but certainly as as energetic and as into the game as you've seen all year. Which, I mean, you should, because, of course, it's it's the Sweet 16 of college baseball. The stakes have never been as high for either team this year as they're going to be this weekend. But you can expect an atmosphere that certainly rivals those of the SEC West programs you mentioned. 
And Chris, I think the other point too is that this is a relatively new ballpark. It opened in the last couple of years. The last time Florida hosted a Super Regional, we were in our old ballpark at McKeithen Stadium. And and that old stadium, I'm not sure if you ever were there, but there was no shade. You were out baking in the sun on those old school bleachers. And and that kind of does wear you out as a fan. I mean, Gator fans are, are, are great at weathering that kind of uh, weather in the fall and Saturdays in the swamp, but it's the swamp, you know, because that's kind of like, it comes with the territory. Baseball, you know, this new ballpark, it's covered, you know, fans actually get to watch it kind of in the comfort of like new seating. And I think that, you know, it, people actually enjoy going to the games a little bit more at this new ballpark. Uh, it really is a beautiful ballpark. They did a great job building it. And I think they want to, you know, kind of christen it in a good way in their first super regional matchup. So I would expect uh, as rowdy as a crowd as we had in the regional uh, and, a, and an impressive turnout. I think we'll set record. We set a record in the regional for attendance at the ballpark, and I expect us to exceed it this weekend. Uh, but as far as my prediction, uh, I guess I'll give mine now. I, I, I'm agreeing with you guys. I think this is a three-game series. I guess I'll differ a little bit. I'll say the Gators take game one, and then I think that South Carolina gets game two. Uh, I think this just gets to a game three. This is sort of just has game three written all over it. As we've talked about tonight, these are two well-matched opponents, well-matched teams. You know, Chris, you're right in that we found this out the hard way, too, because, you know, you said it's hard to beat a team five times in a year, and we figured that out when we played Vanderbilt. We swept Vanderbilt in the regular season in in pretty dramatic fashion, very similar to the way you guys did with us. We beat them, actually, in the first game uh, in in Hoover, and then they they blasted us in that second game uh, where we got eliminated in the semifinal. So I, I think law of averages and percentages do eventually come come about, and I think that happens here. But I do expect a split in the in the first two, and I think it's going to be a pitching duel. I think we're going to see games where it's five four four three. I don't think I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see double digits on the board all weekend. I, I just don't see that happening. I think pitching is going to show up. Starters are going to have decent to quality starts, five, six innings at minimum, and then the bullpens. Whoever has the better bullpen is going to win. Right now, I just like where Florida's bullpen's at. I think they had a great weekend in the regional. I think that momentum will carry them through in a game three. And if if this series were in Columbia, I think the Gamecocks would be the favorites. But I think just because it is in Gainesville, the crowd will be behind it, and the Gators do get it done. Uh, I think the whole series is close. Each game will probably be within a couple of runs. Gators get it done, though, on Sunday afternoon, and I think advance to Omaha for the first time in five years, which, you know, I think... It's been a journey for for Kevin O'Sullivan. I think a lot of Gator fans in the last five years actually, believe it or not, had some doubt at times about him and what he was doing with the transfer portal and recruiting. And and it was just like, it's solely going to get back to Omaha. Are we going to get over the hump? Because he, you know, the last two years in the regional, uh, the first one especially in 2021 was, was pretty bad, where we got 0 and 2 out of our own regional against uh, USF and and South Alabama, and and it was an embarrassing fashion. And then last year, the heartbreaker against Oklahoma, we were very close to advancing to the Super, and then we got to watch Oklahoma make a run to the national championship game. So I, I think this this squad is ready to, to, to make that next step, and, and uh, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent on both uh, both sides, and there's going to be future major leaguers on, playing on, on the field this, uh, this, this weekend. Um, but I just think just because it's in Gainesville, I think that it's a, it's a 50-50 series. I'd put it around like 53%. I think I saw a tweet out there that some statistician ran all the super regional numbers, and this is actually the closest series of them all. The two fifteen matchup, which you know you would expect maybe one of like the 
the you know maybe like that Tennessee Southern Miss one to be closer, but it's actually this one that they have on paper. I think it was like fifty three percent chance Florida advances. So. Yeah, just needling, Chris, just to give you guys some perspective, it's been over a decade since the Gamecocks went to Omaha, believe it or not, 2012 when they were playing in the National Championship Series going for their third straight national title. Gamecocks have not been back to Omaha since. And, you know, I'll say this, the one thing that, you know, none of us can really factor in because how do you talk about it, but sort of the intangibles, if you will, on the South Carolina side, I feel like this is a team that – if you believe in the hot, cold, hot theory, I know my guys over at 11.7 who do a fantastic job, they believe in that. It's like, when are you hitting that hot streak? And South Carolina was as hot as you could be through the first 40 games. They were damn near as cold as you could be through the next 18 or 20 or so. And now it's like, are they back sort of on that upward swing, that upward trajectory? And guys, without you know, just saying it bluntly, like, do we see some things happen that happened back in – 2011, 2010, 2012, things that almost go beyond explanation that made those teams so well. Because, you know, when the Gamecocks beat the Gators, they were not more talented, in my opinion, than Florida. But there were just some things that beyond comprehension took place that led South Carolina. It almost felt like it was meant to be. So I guess it's like, who are the baseball gods with this weekend? That'll be something really interesting to see. Because as you mentioned, I think both these teams are really similar. And it's like, which one of these two teams is hitting their stride more so at the right time, right? It's going to be really, really interesting to see that. Yeah, well, I mean, you can talk about things that just, just go your way. Bases loaded, no outs, and you have two ground balls that get snabbed by Scott Wingo, and he throws them both out at the plate. And the second time, it's a double play to end the inning. And then you have a guy on second who base hit in the left field. Do you think he's going to score? No, he's gunned down at home. So – Hopefully and, and the, like and the funny story, happen. Neil, about that, the guy that threw him out, I've had him on the show, and I've had tons of guys on the show from those teams. Jake Williams was the guy in left field, and they will all tell you he had the worst arm on the team, and he literally made the throw of his life. Like, they all thought, they told me they were in the dugout, guys were in the dugout, said, as soon as the ball was hit to left, we thought the game was over. And Jake Williams made the throw of his life. I mean, it's like an angels in the outfield moment where it's like they're just carrying the baseball. So, I mean, it's... That's why we love the game, right? It's just unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen, right? When you think you've seen it all, something new happens. And like I said, guys, I, I I would be really surprised if it did not go to game three and we didn't have an ultra-competitive series all weekend. Well, one more thing I want to point out. Uh, I forgot to mention this in, in my little closing monologue, but Chris Phillips, you talked about Gamecocks being a very different team on the road than they were at home. Did a little research South Carolina in their final three SEC series was two and seven. Their th- final three SEC road series, sorry, was two and seven and were held to just three runs or fewer in five of those nine games. Very, yeah. very that different. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that, that this team, yeah, just different. I, I don't know how else to explain it, man. They were just different. I mean, Tennessee was the same way. They were abysmal on the road this year and uh, outside of coming to Columbia, of course, but. Nah, man, especially down the stretch, the Gamecocks, for whatever reason, just went on the road. And, you know, they played some good teams, too. Let, let's not get it twisted. They played at Vandy. They played at Arkansas. They played some really good teams on the road. That You know, at Kentucky, who's in the Supers. And, at, you know, the big problem with the Kentucky series was you got swept, right? I mean, you guys know. Like, you lose two of three, that's one thing. But it's it's really the sweeps, one way or the other, that really swing your season. I mean, again, you look at the Gamecocks, and they had a 16-13 and 13 SEC record, but they had a losing SEC series record. And it was thanks to the sweeps 
that, you know, if you don't have those sweeps, if you just win two of three instead of sweep, I don't think the Gamecocks are hosting a regional. So it can swing your season one way or the other. But to your point, man, yeah, South Carolina, especially down the stretch, they they were abysmal and they were up against it. And, you know, it, when, when you're injured and you're playing young guys and it's a ripple effect, right, you got m- multiple guys going in different positions and your lineup's all shaken up. And, and then you factor in you're going against the best of the best that college baseball has to offer on the bump. Yeah, it's not going to bode well for you. So those numbers do not surprise me at all. Yeah, well, we all look forward to it. It's going to be an exciting matchup, and it all begins Friday night at 6 o'clock. You can watch it on ESPN2. I know Neil is going to be traveling down to Gainesville for the series. As you mentioned, he got tickets. I myself might try to make it. If there is a Game 3, I will try to make it actually on Sunday. Uh, But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great series, great matchup, and hopefully a lot to talk about in the future. And Chris, I I think I can speak for Neil. We really enjoyed having you you know, talking and collaborating on this one. And certainly we enjoy talking about baseball and hopefully in the future, we can do more of this, maybe even talk about football this upcoming season uh, when we, the Gators travel to Columbia. Yeah, guys, I really do appreciate uh, you you having me on and, and looking forward to a fun weekend. This is always fun collabing and everything. And uh, the matchups with the Gators are a lot of fun. And again, it's always great to talk with you guys. And it's great to talk with people that love college baseball too. You know, we have a great game and uh, maybe at times it's under marketed and under televised and underappreciated, but the the love and the passion that people have that do tune in, it's uh it is not questioned. That is for sure. You can definitely feel it. So again, looking forward to a great weekend. And guys, let's definitely do it, man. I think these crossover episodes are great, especially for the value of both fan bases and getting sort of kind of the the gator perspective and the gamecock perspective. And, and we'd definitely love to do it again soon. Yeah, man. We'd love to having you on. Great conversation. I mean, Chris said it, spoke for me. I can confirm he does speak for me when he says that. This is a great conversation. Look forward to having you again for, for football. But first things first, looking forward to a very exciting series this weekend. Hope the Gators win. Um, but, you know, it does, as we've all said, it could go either way. It's a very close, very, very closely contested matchup this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for again for all the time that you spent with us tonight. It's been super long pot over an hour now, but um, it's because we enjoy talking about it. Cause like you said, the, the passion of those who do love college baseball is unquestioned and, and undoubted. And we could go on and on and talk for several more hours about what's happening this weekend. But um, we really appreciate your time man, and uh, good luck to y'all this weekend. Yeah. Good luck to you guys as well. And good luck to you, Neil, with all the Gamecock fans. And I know that we'll live in your mentions this weekend. Try to be safe out there. <laughs> oh my God. That's, that's a debate for another day, man. We can, we can have that conversation. Oh. But, I'm just, uh, Chris, I was just happy to see that Neil actually made a South Carolina friend. That was fantastic. Hey, I, I'll be your friend too. So now you got two. So. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I got two of them. Damn. I'm, I'm really, I, I might You're just a popular be guy, guy, Neil. You're a popular guy. I dude, I feel so blessed right now. I, I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am to have, to have made multiple South Carolina friends. But yeah, man, it, it's not all of them. I you know I, that that was probably an L that I that I should wear. Um, I I kind of painted the the whole Carolina fan base as is just terrible, and it's obviously not. But I just, I was just unlucky. I was, you know Chris Phillips and I were talking off air about this a couple of days ago. I think it was just bad luck that I had three separate bad experiences with Carolina fans. Um, you know, put putting their hands on us, threatening children, um, getting getting kind of you know racially, you know, off the off the grid there. But yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't reflect the entire fan base. I know that, and I hope I hope I can have more good experiences with them this weekend. Well, Neil, coming from a Gamecock content creator, my man, I deal with it as well. So it's all good. I feel you. <laughs> nice to know that I have company there. <laughs> 
think I think I think it's safe to say every fan base has their uh, their bad apples that they have to that contend with sometimes, unfortunately. But uh, Chris, hey, before hey. we be- before we go, Chris, uh, please let the fans know uh, where they can follow you and find you on all the social media uh, or any other outlets that you uh, you put your content out. For sure. So we're on social media, of course, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We even have a TikTok at the Spurs Up show. Uh, we do a daily live show, which airs noon to three exclusively on YouTube. And we actually take questions, comments, and calls. So any Gator fans might want to chime in, talk some baseball, talk a little crap, whatever, ahead of the series. We actually have a Gator fan tune in right now who from time to time he'll pop in and say, go Gators and what have you. And it's all fun. The beauty's in the banter. I truly enjoy it. But that airs noon to three, Monday through Friday on YouTube. And then, of course, the podcast drops after the fact every single day at 5 p.m. Eastern, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, you can check us out there. So uh, just look up the Spurs Up show wherever you're at, and you'll probably find us. But uh, no, guys, again, I appreciate it, man, greatly. And looking forward to engaging all the great Gators this weekend. And like I said, just hoping for a great weekend of baseball. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Chris. Have a good night and best of luck to uh, both teams this weekend. Appreciate you guys. And before you go, Chris, just let the Carolina fans know where they can find us. Um, the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, you can just put that under your Realpa podcast. You can put that under your Google search. The In All Kinds of Weather Forecast is our podcast. In All Kinds of Weather.com is the website where we provide all kinds of written content. We have baseball recaps, we have previews, we have football, basketball, we cover um, softball when they do well, we cover them too. So um, kind of kind of a, uh, a multi-sport. We are the everything school. So we, we do cover more than just Gator football. But yeah, I mean, whenever the Gators are, are really racking up the views on television and, and they're really getting the eyeballs from national audiences, we'll, we'll be there to cover them at inallkindsweather.com. Um, at all kinds weather, you can find us on Twitter at all kinds weather blog on Instagram. Our new YouTube channel is the same as the podcast, the in all kinds of weather forecast. Type it into YouTube and we'll come up. So, Chris, I don't, Chris Yan, I don't want to take your, your final, um, your, your final little wording here. So I'll let you close the show, but I just wanted to throw that in there. No, with, I would say to all Gamecock fans, definitely check it out and follow on social media because I know you and I will be engaging a ton this weekend. And it's always a good time on social media. So I appreciate everybody tuning in and all kinds of weather.com. You guys are the best. I appreciate it. Looking forward to a great weekend.